Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? A part of the social contract that makes up the fabric of America is the idea that the state has a monopoly on violence. In an effort to have a more orderly and less violent society, you can't just have a duel to the death in the street. And in our representative republic, we elect people that institute organizations whose sole goal is to maintain the peace with the least amount of conflict necessary, like the police force. And last year, we saw quite a bit of need for reform for the different police departments, but we also have to remember how many good men and women in uniform are out there that without them, we would be lost, that there are good people keeping the wolves at bay. This is the story of one of those people. Hey, this is Derwin, and with me tonight, I have an old friend from combat medic training 10 years ago, or even more at this point. And the last time I saw this guy, I was sitting in a PX and I was eating loaded French fries, which means you had the greasy French fries with the sour cream, with the nacho cheese, with the bacon. And then I see this cat walking through the door and I hadn't seen him for like a year before that. And I hugged him and then we went our separate ways. And, And this is a conversation 10 years in the making. And tonight, I want to welcome my good buddy, Officer John from Texas. Hey, John, good to see you. Good to see you, too. I, I've just been following your Facebook updates for a long time. You're a cop, but you're also, or at least you were in the National Guard, and you're also working in, like, COVID testing, vaccine sites, and you were just a busy guy. I spent most of 2020 hiding in the basement, afraid of the sun. And so I'm so excited to get a police officer's kind of perspective of things and and really your unique viewpoint, because you're a really unique guy. And so where are you from exactly? Like, where, where, where do you call, like, what part of the country call home? Houston, Texas is my home, but uh, I'm imported from the Philippines. But from my accent, as you can tell, I was raised here. Okay, so you were imported from the Philippines, but raised in Texas. What was it like being Filipino import in Texas? That's a can of worms for another day, honestly. (laughs) Fair enough. um, One example was my wife didn't believe me until I told her of a certain road that we don't go north of. And we had barbecue there, and she saw it firsthand. I, I understand. So you enlisted in the Texas National Guard. Mm hmm. How old were you when you did that? I was 19. Uh, it was the 2008, the, the year end of 2008, when the recession hit. That's a good time to do it. <laughs> that was the best reason for me to do it. <laughs> I, was, 
I was working a um, in the cargo in the cargo area of uh, Bush Intercontinental Airport until the recession just hit us and a bunch of us were just let go. You know, we I, I remember at the time we had like a quarter million troops in combat zones, and so the army was hiring. So yeah, that's I mean that's why I came in in '06. You deployed once or twice, right? One combat overseas deployment, a few border deployments, and a few um, overseas non-combat deployments. What were the non-combat deployments? Oh, just East European and um, North African deployments. That sounds awesome. Where'd you go in Eastern Europe? So just Germany, that Italy and airborne units. I just went to Germany and Italy. Like I knew guys who went to that airborne unit, and I know how much fun they had. (laughs) Well, so... Texas National Guard has the uh, 143rd and one other airborne unit, and we didn't we didn't stay there an ex- extensive amount. Sure. So it's uh we were there to visit our sister units, do a few jumps, photo ops, do the um the oh the the active army is integrating with the the reserve components, shake hands goodbye. So you did annual training in Italy. Yes, I. I can't describe in words how much I hate you right now. I did annual training in the deep woods in Indiana, sleeping in a sleeping bag in mud. Texas has the money. We Texas <laughs> bid for the special, the fifth group, special sure. forces group from Utah and won that contract. So 2014. <laughs> That's pretty cherry. That is pretty cherry. What about Africa? Where'd you go there? Um, in Egypt, uh, there's the Mount Sinai. Out uh, bounce from between Egypt and uh, Djibouti because we had a, another unit over there doing humanitarian missions, security missions. Medics in the National Guard are hard to retain. And so let's let's go into that. You and I met at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas, in the summer of '09. Mm-hmm. So. What are your memories from back then? I've recorded all the like podcasts, so this whole channel knows everything I've had to say about it. But I don't have too many memories other than just the like stock photos of yeah of everything we've done. Um, yeah. I remember when a few other people were the the prior service members that had, yes. that stay in the barracks with us, had your own vehicles. As a nineteen year old new recruit, I was like, oh shit these these people have seen shit. <laughs> I mean, not really. I mean, some of them, I didn't. I was a supply clerk for two years before I came to see you guys. So, you know, mostly you and I were probably on the same level. One me- one fond memory of you I <laughs> can't ever forget was that they could never find a cap your size. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to get those special made because I've got a giant noggin. And uh, they had to like sew in extra stuff there. And yeah, so I just kept the same one for years. And they're like, why do you have that dirty cap? I'm like, because it fits. Because otherwise I'm just, just letting it all hang out, man. And it was the prior service barracks was interesting. There was, I, yeah, lots of drinking, you know. <laughs> I, I remember having to like collect cell phones from the AIT barracks once and then walking in there and see all these dudes look at us like, oh, we're in the lion's den and they're going to eat us alive because <laughs> I'm five <laughs> foot seven. <laughs> and like I became funny because I don't really know how to fight. So, <laughs> But it was it was a different presence from new recruits to prior sure. service. 
first. Sure. Um, it was something that I didn't catch on till later that people were being called slick sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a slick sleeve then and I deployed almost after immediately after school. But when, when was your first deployment? Immediately after school. Okay. So same time frame. Cool. <laughs> yeah, first drill wasn't two years in my, until two years into my contract was my first drill. <laughs> when I got the first call from a first sergeant, I thought I was reporting for drill. And it was pre-mob. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Thunderdome, kid. You're going to be just fine. Oh, so where where did you go? Oh, um, Iraq. Okay, what part? Uh, for, we were shutting down um, bases at that point. It was Taji. No. Then uh, Camp Cropper. No. And Camp Korea after after that. And it was just, it was shut. We were transitioning from Iraqi freedom to New Dawn. Yep. Because you and I were in there. I think you left about five or six months after I did. So we probably were in country for a few months in an overlap period there. But but yeah, I was in Al-Assad for like five months and I was in Adder for four. And I remember them shutting down all the super fobs. And then like the line for the chow hall was like an hour. Okay, so what happened to you after deployment, sir? Uh, just a hodgepodge of things. Um the my first border deployment operation phalanx okay you know in iraq nothing really happened the most fighting was between the iraqis no. and not hardly any hostility towards the americans other than you're an evading force in my backyard i understand that yeah <laughs> we were occupying your country you're not going to be super excited to see us i get it yeah as americans that pride themselves on freedom and their personal freedom and choice yeah it's cr- in retrospect, how little we cared about other countries. Yeah. Like, you remember the burn pits? Like, you see, like, a big cloud of black smoke? That's because we're burning things, and, like, things that we couldn't do here in the States. And, yeah, we owe them something, right? Like, we should go over there and clean up stuff. Yeah, right? I mean, the people that weren't involved in the war, we leveled their country. Yeah, and that's a damn shame. You know, you get all these people that are caught in the crosshairs between two groups. You get... Well, the religious sect, like the the the, the Taliban or the Taliban, Al Qaeda, and then us, and everyone's got different like interest, and then you've got just some guy who's trying to raise a family, right? Mm-hmm. Like always, really felt for them. So tell me about the uh, your border deployments, because I'm I'm Indiana based. The only thing I hear about the border is whatever the news is trying to stir up in controversy these days. So I just kind of ignore it for the most part. But you're a guy who's actually been there. So like you're actually a firsthand source. Yeah. Um, this would be my first border deployment ended up being my first out of four uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> but you, um, you mentioned, you talked about my left arm over here. Yeah. I got or on like other parts of my body and it all started from the first border deployment and just went downhill from there so <laughs> you've got some pretty gnarly scars on your arms that i because i it, it honestly it looked like you had like a succubus alien from the alien franchise on your arm and i'm <laughs> like oh he's a pod person now so i'm gonna get off the phone but wow that's crazy okay so is there like other border deployments you could like like can you give like the cliff notes of what a border deployment is um it can range from the movie sicario i know one of us sold the rights to that movie studio yeah Yeah. so that's that's my experience with on one spectrum sure 
um, the National Guard sent when Governor Perry decided to politicize it at that time uh, before the 2016 elections, he decided to just launch out a thousand National Guard members under Title 32, the state's orders to where we belong to the state, but we couldn't do anything because there's federal land disputes. There's private owners disputes. The border is not some lawless area that people think there is. There's there's farmland there, bunch and bunch of farmland. So during that deployment, there was nothing that we could do. We didn't have any executive powers. All mm-hmm. we were were a set of eyes for um, DPS and Border Patrol. And there was times when I could literally just walk across the river and yeah. trade MR our Mexican counterparts. Well, that's kind of cool. Like it, it was, um, I mean, that's that spectrum of, of a board deployment and it's more of the same. Now they're just publicizing it in a, as a humanitarian issue or the nation's under a crisis issue. It's, it's not under a crisis. People cross all the time. I think it's some primeval fear of like the, what we did to native Americans, honestly. Sure. Not what I did to Native Americans. But. <laughs> You're from the Philippines. You weren't involved. <laughs> and that's a problem I have with a lot of news, right? Is because you get one set of news saying, oh my God, the Mexicans are invading us. And the other side is saying, oh my God, we have to, there's all these refugees and it's a crisis and we have to, and I want to believe the, the truth is somewhere in the middle, but like also. Honestly, it's, if it wasn't for the war on drugs, Mm. That, that would be just fine if we had an actual import export of uh marijuana if it was legal it's legal over mexico now it's not legal here at least in texas um i can understand the hard drugs of heroin cocaine never i wouldn't ever justify doing that but marijuana is the biggest push of uh illegal illicit uh exports and imports here that's like if you could smoke scotch. That's what marijuana is. Like it's it still plays on a fear of people that have been in Congress for more than forty years. Yeah. Who who um, back in the nineteen seventies and sixties weaponized drugs as a fear and control. Yeah. In my opinion, at least. <laughs> you know, you're a guy on the ground. You're a guy that's worked public service almost your entire adult life. So, and in Texas, so you're the guy to talk to, which I'm really so glad you're doing this. And yeah, that bugs me when people's fears are played on so easily. Like I'm in Indiana, we're a bajillion miles away from the border. So people crossing the border doesn't really affect my day to day. So I'm, I'm glad that people like you can kind of shed some light on the top. So how long have you been a police officer? It's going on to five years now. Yeah. I just earmark, which honestly hasn't been that long because I was, uh, I was dual wielding <laughs> being a cop and a national guardsman. Yeah. And I'm on half my career, uh, police career so far. What is your favorite part of being a cop? Police have options, individual beliefs and options like, okay, do I want to uh, enforce this particular law? Discretion. Yes, police discretion. Yes. Can you go deeper into police discretion? Maybe give like a, you know, like a PG example. Well, our neighboring county, 
they decriminalized marijuana. I work where it's still criminalized. Any usable amount is a Class B misdemeanor in the state of Texas, which is arrestable. Mm. Um, well, honestly, anything ex- except for speeding, texting while driving, and um, open container in the state of Texas is an arrestable offense. A lot of Class C misdemeanors, uh, we just write a ticket for. And Class Bs are kind of like a rule that oh you know what we're just going to go ahead and arrest you we're going to take you to county for that charge but like any usable amount that you can find like maybe in a grinder or uh, any kind of residue or something of that nature uh, people get arrested for and like I don't believe in the in the way that the nation and how the views of marijuana as it is mm-hmm. um is going, I don't think I would want someone to have that record or have that experience if they don't have any prior record of it. Okay. So I don't confiscate it. I don't um, destroy it. I tell them to destroy it within my view. And then that's it. Like, oh, well, there's no, there's no issue now. No, is there? Yeah. That's really good, man. Like in the grand scheme of things, like if you're not a causing a danger to anybody else, right. And this is, you know, I'm a civilian, you know, like if they're not, driving recklessly or whatever no i i actually got a 400 dollars speeding ticket outside of dallas in 2011 <laughs> turns out you can get a 1999 dodge grand caravan up to 96 miles an hour in a 70 zone and that policeman wrote me a nice ticket and sent me on my way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i don't speed anymore at least not in texas Oh, Texas, everyone's a speeder. You just don't have to. You just, the ones who get caught. <laughs> it's hard for people to get pulled over by me. I give them like a 10 to 15 mile over, overage before I even think about pulling them over because I, how bad it is in our area. I was, I was doing 26 over. So I'm like, that's fair. <laughs> that's, <laughs> okay. So talk to me about dual wielding, right? Because you said you were a national guard because you were a staff sergeant when you got out, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's that like dual wielding? Like you were, a, 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 you were still a, a medic NCO when you're, when you got out of the guard. Yeah, it was, uh, my last four years in the guard was a lot of administrative administrative and, um, I'd get pulled for, uh, a mission here or there, sure. uh, grab, a, grab a few medics, do this, do that. Um, but overall it was just very administrative to a battalion, to a, um, aviation battalion. Okay. You, you go high up and up, they're like, oh, you can spell your name. You can do all the paperwork. I get it. <laughs> well, it was even worse because um, we never, we rarely had an officer. Yeah. So it was dual wielding upon that. I was dual wielding in the National Guard as an NCO and officer. I was on, I was in the staff meetings as bo- in both seats. Yeah. So you could put your butt in one chair and put your feet in another chair is what you're saying. I did do that on some occasions. I would. <laughs> and you're like, I've got both these chairs. If you want me to sit up, right, you better get me a left seat, right seat sort of guy. Okay. So how was March, 2020 for you? I have to imagine you were at the forefront of the initial response to everything. Uh, it was pretty lawless at that point. Honestly, no agency knew how to react. The, um, the local hospitals, the the um, police departments, the health departments, the National Guard, the bases. I had to write medical SOPs for our unit. 
and then I'd have to communicate with the the local ERs and then keep up to date with um, with the active duty counterparts like hey uh, what's the defcon or what's the procedure yet you guys are doing so that our little run of the mill um, national guard base can do the same thing and, and without an officer above me it made things more difficult like okay um here's a small region that an officer would be in charge of but until we find an officer because all the medical officers work in ERs as civilians in the Texas National Guard you NCOs are it <laughs> who can spell his name the best you're in charge <laughs> yeah that's crazy like i i myself got out of the Indiana Army National Guard and like august of 2019 and then i got married in october then the world shut down in march and i had all these buddies that were still in i'm like you guys got this i'm gonna stay home and stop the spread (laughs) that all looks (laughs) exhausting (laughs) it was was um quite honestly it put a strain on my marriage because i was gone a lot and we had a toddler um and it's i didn't want to leave them alone but it was title 10 at the time too Oh, yeah, you don't have a choice the matter. Uh, well, the first, quite honestly, the first part was um, voluntary. And then by the time my ETS, it became mandatory. Were you extended? No. Oh, no, okay. I made it out. <laughs> You're like, I did my time. It's fine. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I, I was tired by then, my military career. When did you get out? Uh, October 2020. Okay. So, had yourself a nice party? Uh, as much of a party as you can during COVID. Yeah, especially before the vaccine and that really bleak fall we had. Um, Even with the vaccine now, it's not like many people are caring. So you worked in a lot of COVID sort of like testing. I kept seeing you on Facebook and like scrubs working at different hospitals and talking about ERs and things. And Yeah, first, um, before the vaccines, it was just it was just tight. Um, testing sites yeah uh, we had to get raw data for like what is the spread um going to yeah. and i'd compile a um i'd compile all the data the metadata of it and um for a seven day forecast i was um point one percent off um at any given time like okay this is the this is the trend in texas it's not wow. capping what do you what do you guys want to do <laughs> wear a mask <laughs> it wasn't even it wasn't even at that point um texas was one of the first ones like say f this our personal freedoms my freedoms sure what was your take on that like you you saw all that firsthand it's there's still lingering effects here in texas um where yeah for the first year and a half everything's fine but then all of a sudden, like, oh, this person I used to go to school with and her her church group is sending her thoughts and prayers to get her off the ventilator. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not sure thoughts and prayers will do that. But, yeah, my heart feels for her. But all all these things were readily available. And then I have family members that are nurses in the healthcare field that are more than willing to give up their jobs for their personal choice and freedom. I'm like, you already get the flu shot. That's the mandatory thing, along with tetanus. And your kids are in public school, along with mandatory vaccinations for that. And I, I've heard, and, and again, I, I don't trust a lot of news these days, but there was a thing where a guy 
had like a gallstone or something in El Paso and he was an army vet and like it was should have been just like an easy it might not have been a gallstone but it was some easy sort of like procedure and then they kept looking for a place for him and they couldn't do it so he died or something yeah. and all the hospitals in West Texas are full of COVID patients the weird thing is I was kind of raised conservative right and none of this shit makes any sense to me the way people were acting and so for me right like to as a man you're supposed to take care of your family and be an asset to your community right that means if there is a scary virus that's like hurting people maybe get the shot to keep the blood demons away i don't know like in terms of like personal responsibility and 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 you maintain freedom by staying healthy like those poor bastards on ventilators do not look very free to me (laughs) but you know and again I'm a guy that's been in the basement for the last two years. So well, it comes down to a fundamental, like, do they believe in the virus to begin with? Yeah. They down here, they don't. Yeah. It's yeah. a pandemic. <laughs> um, as a police officer, do you want to talk about 2020 or we can, I can cut this part out. We can just not touch that at all. I mean, we can, um, during the George Floyd riots, it's 2020 was just like I said, dual wielding. Yeah, um, we had our share of riots down here um, in Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and um, I was deployed for that too. Very selfishly, I'm very glad that there's brave men like you that are dealing with all of that, so that broken guys like me can just kind of like stay home (laughs) like i pulled my back out taking my jacket off one time so i'm like i should probably just do podcasts and make funny stories okay so how's 2021 been for you is it kind of like everything kind of on an upswing or it's leveling off um yeah we we didn't get our vaccinations to like a month and a half ago yeah honestly um it's culturally it's just not such a big deal down here that there's no wait times there's um they're starting to incentivize it down here like oh a hundred dollars if you get your vaccine just here's a hundred bucks like oh we could that shoot (laughs) (laughs) there was you know uh in ohio the governor was there's like a lottery you get like a million bucks or something like seven people got a million dollars or um so you've got a wife and, and two little girls now, is that right? Yeah. So what's your favorite part of being a dad? No matter what my day is at work, I know what my home life will be. Yeah. How's that? It's uh they're sweet girls. I mean, there's um she's in her she's about to pass through her terrible twos, but she's still um there's a lot that she doesn't understand and a lot that she's learning. But there's a base understanding of love and affection that me and my wife has taught her that she is able to freely express to us. And that makes everything I've done up until this point worth it. That's so awesome. And you know, I think we'll end there. That's a great place to end. (laughs) John, I want to thank you for your service to the nation. I want to thank you for, being on the front lines of everything during the biggest public health crisis of our lifetimes. 
and just being like a good dude and like an awesome dad clearly because i see these pictures of your kids on facebook and they look really happy and <laughs> i want to thank you for being on the podcast john i appreciate you having me all right man well this is derwin for the uh blanket fortress of solitude and i'll see you next monday at 7 a.m